I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. We begin today's show with a deep analysis of the world economy. The IMF says the worst is yet to come, literally. Then we play a clip of a rare interview with Joe Biden that appeared on CNN. He's either clueless about how Americans are feeling right now, or he's lying to us, or maybe a little of both. He's less coherent than usual in the interview, but he comes off as Cicero compared to John Fetterman. It's increasingly clear the Pennsylvania Democrat nominee for Senate is mentally incapacitated, and we give you even more evidence. From there, we have reports on politics and crime and a woke update for you before we get into our interview with Pinal County Sheriff Mark Lamb of Arizona. He's one of the stars of the new Border Battle docuseries that our friends at Turning Point USA have put out. The interview is semi-horrifying, but that doesn't make it any less important. Let's get into it. October in D.C. is just terrific, though. I, I, I do love it. It's a, it was, it, it is definitely a happy place. Um, it's a fun time of year. Very fun, iconic, really. Um, it, but what's going down there? There are people talking about the stormy waters are ahead and is a consensus that the worst is yet to come. John Carney has summarized this in an article for us that we have at Breitbart News, how the global economy growth forecast for 2023 from the United Nations has been slashed from 3.2% to 2.7%. Now, I don't even know if these numbers are credible. I just know that they believe that the economy will uh, uh, be growing at a much slower rate overall. And when it comes to the United States, the anticipation is that the U.S. will grow at only a 1% rate, which is basically a chance that we don't grow at all or we maintain our current rate of a light recession. Europe has anticipated that it will grow 1%, I'm sorry, half a percent. Now, what's causing this? They say global economic activity is experiencing a broad base and sharper than expected slowdown, inflation higher than seen in several decades, cost of living crisis, tightening financial conditions in most regions, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, that Putin is a bad guy, the lingering COVID-19 pandemic, yeah, that COVID-19, have you heard of it? SARS-CoV-2, it's bad. All are weighing heavily on the outlook, according to the uh, IMF. Uh, we also are seeing that inflation in the U.S., which is at 8.8% currently, up from last year's 4.7%, uh, will decline, but will still be highly elevated and uh, might be elevated even into 2024. So we are uh, not even in the clear and things could be getting worse throughout much of the world. China's growth projection is 4.1%, which is better than this year, where they've still seen widespread lockdowns that are occurring quite a bit. But they've been growing at around 8%. That's been their current, that's been their regular clip lately. So now some of us are rooting against China, but that said, when you're looking at the world economy, it's another sign that things are not going to be getting much easier. The report literally says the worst is yet to come. So there's going to be a lot of pressure here in the United States. Um, we were tracking the housing market 
Because in the United States, we have a unique system where we have all these 30-year fixed-rate mortgages, and that's something that makes us different than much of the rest of the world. Much of, most of the world, you have to refinance every three and a half years, I think is the average. And here in the United States, people typically get locked in these 30-year fixed-rate mortgages. So a lot of people got locked into mortgages last year, for example, uh, might have had them in the, the 2% range. If you're getting them locked in now, it could be in the 6 or 7% range, and it could be going up. Um, and the efforts from the Fed, given the current data we're seeing, suggest they're going to continue to hike rates at least for one more, um, uh, at least at the next Fed meeting. So we could see them go higher. I mean, it's the rapid, the, the most rapid rise in this we've ever seen. So what does that mean? It means that people are going to be very uh, uh, not inclined to sell their homes. Home prices still are going up, by the way, right now. Now, how long will that go on? I don't know for sure, but they're still going up despite the fact that people are spending so much on uh, interest if they're getting a new home now. So the affordability of homes is crushing, but that also means that there's going to be a lot less turnover in the market. So it also means there's less economic mobility. It means that people are not going to be inclined to move. I was thinking about this personally because uh, Mrs. Dr. Marlowe's in a training program and the training program is up in a year and a half. And then we're gonna have some flexibility in terms of where we wanna go and what we wanna do. But uh, what are we gonna be able to get for our place? Like so many of you, I mean, most of our you know, net worth tied up in our home. So can can you can we upgrade if uh, if is the home prices are just as high or higher and uh, we're going to get into a much worse interest rate? I don't know. It's a tough thing. Squeezes economic mobility, which of course squeezes the economy again. All reasons to suggest that we're in a recession and it could conceivably get much worse. So uh, existing home sales have been down every month since January. This was in some of the details here are in the Breitbart Business Digest that I work on with John Carney every day. Um, and this is, it's also interesting because the United States, we have a unique set of issues because of our, the unique way we do our mortgages because they're backed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which is the government. So the, much of the world doesn't have this situation. So uh, home affordability is not going to improve. Home prices are going to be uh, unaffordable for so many people and things that were maybe affordable last year are not affordable this year and there's no suggestion they're gonna get affordable anytime soon. Which I do believe also has a trickle down bummer effect. Ooh, maybe that's the title of the show today, trickle down bummer. Because a lot of people in my generation, and I'm in my mid 30s, think it's very difficult, particularly if you don't inherit well, it's pretty difficult to get a house. It's a long process because a lot of the best jobs are in places where the houses are more unaffordable. So either you got to figure out a way to get yourself to a place where houses are affordable or you got to get something really, really, really small. Well, th that small house just got a lot smaller. And it's discouraging. It makes you think it's not going to happen for you. It makes it, you think you, it's with if you're looking at a gigantic mortgage that is maybe 
40% higher than it would have been if you could have got it into your house last year, and it could be going up for the next couple of years. It just makes you think that it's going to be harder and not worth it to try to buy a home. And buying a home is one of the best things you can do financially, first of all. It's one of the safest bets you can make traditionally in this country. Not always perfect. You can think of a couple examples, but it's a pretty good bet. And second of all, it just does encourage that independence. It does encourage you getting out from underneath the oppressive nature of our government and corporate society where a lot of your freedom is, you know, uh, usurped financially, I would say spiritually, I would certainly say in terms of your time by one of those two entities, if not both, the government or corporate America. So you want to get out from under that and start building your own family. And that's going to happen a lot more with a home. And it has an effect. Clearly it does. And it's getting more and more hard, more and more difficult to get one. So important to bring that up. The numbers keep getting uh, go from bad to worse, bad to worse. Joe Biden does not understand this at all. He is entirely incoherent on this matter. It came up in an interview with CNN's Jake Tapper yesterday. Let us play cut one, Mr. Zach. Midterm elections are four weeks from today. The economy remains top, top of mind for voters. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO said the U.S is likely to enter a recession in the next nine months. Bank of America says the U.S. could start losing 175,000 jobs a month. Gas prices are on the rise again. Should the American people prepare for a recession? No. Look, they've been saying this now how <laughs> every, every six months they say this. Every six months they look down the next six months and see what's going to happen. It hadn't happened yet. It hadn't, there, there, has, there is no, there's no guarantee that they're going to be. I don't think there will be a recession. If it is, it'll be a very slight recession. That is, we'll move down slightly. Well, look, think about what's happened. We have done more. We're in a better position than any other major country in the world, economically and politically. We are. We still have real problems. But we, look, look, look what we look what we got done. We, we, we passed so much legislation that significantly makes a, makes a point about, you know, for example, the American Rescue Plan, the, the legislation to deal with inflation, um, the, the Inflation Act. We moved along. I mean, there's so much that's been accomplished that the idea that there's uh, something, there's an automaticity to recession is just not, is just not there. They keep, they've been predicting this off and on for the last... But you just said that a slight recession is possible. It is possible. Look, it is possible. I don't anticipate it. So very slight recession. There's more mealy mouth for him than even usual. Because first he says, they always say this. They look at the numbers. Well, actually, numbers like this come out every you know month or so. Sometimes every quarter. I don't know where he gets the six-month number in his head. Is that all he's checking in on the economic numbers? I got to tell you, if the stock market was roaring, he'd be checking in twice a day. He'd be looking at those numbers and going, look at me, the big guy making it happen. But everyone who has their money tied up in stocks is losing money. Everyone who has their money tied up in their house is deeply concerned. Everyone who has their money tied up in crypto is living in a van down by the river. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but if you've all used your money in crypto, you've had a very tough year. And what does he cite to prove that we're not really in a recession? 
that he thinks we're the best position of any economy in the world. Uh, just there's no, there's nothing in the data that suggests that, at least relative to what we've been in the past. And does that mitigate the fact that some of you are spending $150 to fill up your tank? Biden inflation has American consumers anxious about affordability of basic of basic items. And people are seeing massive spikes in rent, housing, food, and gasoline. People are deeply concerned. And the amount of people who are concerned is spiking every day from an already elevated number. Most of the country was already concerned about this stuff. And now we're seeing huge surges just from this month to last month. We've been tracking this forever.com. If you want to go to Breitbart.com uh, and then click on the economy tab, you can get a lot of the details. Uh, but this is uh, the, the AAA gas tracker, national average climbing towards $4 again, which is very high relative to a year ago. And it is, which is at th uh, 327. Now we're uh, over 390 and heading towards 4 bucks. So it's going back up. It's all going back up. We don't have this stuff reined in. Carney has been pointing this out, and I think this is really important how blacks and Hispanics in particular over the last month or so have all of a sudden caught on this inflation's bad news. These are key voting blocks the Democrats need to keep the Senate. House is gone, but in order to keep the Senate, they need voting blocks of these individuals, or these groups of people, to be more specific. And they're not happy with how the economy is going. So elsewhere in Biden's mealy mouth explanation, he tries to get, take credit for the rescue plan. I don't even remember what that is. I'm guessing that's him taking a bunch of your tax dollars, putting it on the country credit card. And the Inflation Act, he doesn't even call it the Inflation Reduction Act, he calls it the Inflation Act. If I was in a better mood, I'd make more fun of him for that. Uh, yeah, he's not hot right now. He's not hot right now. He had that, remember that railroad union deal where he bragged about being in charge of it? That's falling apart. Track that Breitbart News. You might recall that when he went over to Saudi Arabia, do some fist pumping to ask OPEC Plus to uh, increase production, not cut it so bad. Uh, this was, he did the fist bump, which we were all going to track that. Was he going to fist bump? Was he going to shake hands with the murderous uh, regime of Saudi Arabia that the left is so obsessed with hating? Of all the murderous regimes on the planet, they've singled that one out. This was back in August. This is a line from the Wall Street Journal yesterday. This blew my mind. In August, the Saudis had planned to push OPEC Plus to raise oil production by 500,000 barrels a day in effort to please Mr. Biden. But Prince Mohammed ordered the increase lowered to a token 100,000 barrels a day after the Biden visit, the people inside the Saudi government said. So literally, they were going to raise it 500,000 barrels, which would have provided much more supply, would have driven down prices, would have saved all of you money. But the big guy went over there, which he didn't have to do. He went over there to try to get you guys some more oil because, again, we don't drill baby drill at home. And he was so unimpressive or annoying or rude or stupid or all the above that they cut that drastically. They cut it 80%. He's good. He's good, Joe Biden. 
Um, he was asked if he is going to run for president. And he said he would discuss it after the midterms. I don't know if we have this clip. I don't really need to play it. He said that uh, he's in the process of deciding. And he says, I can beat Donald Trump again, which I do think will be a big motivator for him because I think he believes that um, if Trump wins, he can beat Trump. And obviously that's true. We beat him last time. So the I think that'll be a big motivator for him, even though he'll be in his 80s. I think if there's someone that he is less of a personal beef with and hatred towards, I think there's a much more likely chance he doesn't run. But I think there's also an issue here for Democrats that they're not grooming a next generation that I think has convinced the public they, they should win. I think the focus on a lot of the woke stuff and the insane spending and the open borders are causing real problems right now because we have a lot of inflation. We've got a lot of fentanyl issues throughout the country. And we've got a lot of families that are having their worlds overturned because of the trans fad we're in. And that all comes from the same type of people, type of people who uh, are waiting in the wings when Biden decides to you know, hang up his hair plugs. Is that an expression? It is not. It is not. So what good is he up to? Let's play cut two from the CNN interview. Mr. Zach, go. We passed the end. Look, what I ran on, I said we're going to deal with energy. Right. And, and the energy problem, we're going to deal with the whole notion of global warming. We passed $368 billion worth of help, which, as the same bankers talk about, is going to bring a billion, a trillion, seven hundred million dollar, billion dollars off the sidelines in investment. A trillion billions and billions. Trillions. Uh, let's play one more time. I don't think I get it. We passed the look what I ran on. I said we're going to deal with energy. Right. And, and the energy problem, we're going to deal with the whole notion of global warming. We passed three hundred sixty eight billion dollars worth of help, which, as the same bankers talk about, is going to bring a billion, a trillion, seven hundred million dollar billion dollars off billion, the sidelines. Trillion, dillion, a dillion, a dillion, a quadillion, quadrillions, zillions, quintillions, bazillions. Like it's a he just has no idea what he's talking about. It's probably too late in the night for him to do this interview. He did it at 2.30 p.m., but it was still too late. I, I don't know when he did it. Not not impressive. Um, and he, I don't know that him just announcing with bravado that he announced he was going to deal with the energy crisis or energy issues. It's the single biggest failure of his administration. There's not even a close second. And this is a guy who might have us on the brink of nuclear Armageddon, has left the border open, and is seeing historic levels of inflation. And it's still, you know, some of these are related. Energy issue is just it's just by far number one. All right, um, there's one other point that I want to make from this interview, and I, I I'm reading into this something, and I want to see if any of you had the same take. Tapper asks Biden about Hunter. Let's play cut three. Go. Reporting CNN's reporting and the Washington Post reporting suggests. The prosecutors think they could, they have enough to charge your son, Hunter, uh, for tax crimes and a false statement about a gun purchase. Um, personally and politically, um, how do you react to that? Well, first of all, I, I'm, I'm proud of my son. This is a kid who got, uh, not a kid, he's a grown man. 
He got uh, hooked on, uh, uh, like many families have had happen, hooked on drugs. Uh, he's overcome that. He's established a new life. He is, um, uh, I'm confident that he is, what he says and does are consistent with what happens. Um, and, uh, for example, he wrote a book about his problems and was straightforward about it. I'm proud of him. He came along and said, by the way, this thing about a gun, I didn't know anything about it, but turns out that when he made my application to purchase a, a gun, what happened was he said, I guess you get asked, I don't guess, you get asked the question, are you on drugs, you use drugs? He said no. And he wrote about saying no in right. his book. So I, 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 I have great confidence in my son. I love him. And uh, he's on a straight and narrow, and he has been for a couple of years now. And I'm just so proud of him. Do you think that Hunter was doing crack while Joe was saying that he's kicked the drug problem? I'm just asking. I, I don't know for sure. Um, I will say that uh, the 14th, I think, is the anniversary of the laptop from hell. So we were trying to plan some festivities at Breitbart News. Um, but I, I, I'm wondering if the now that we're talking about Hunter and there's a chance that Hunter does get it, it could have the book thrown at him. Uh, it, it just does seem to be another uh, the piece of evidence that Donald Trump is eventually going to get indicted by the Department of Justice. And I think they will probably try to bring something against Hunter also to try to cover themselves and act like, hey, look, if we're going after the president's son, how can you say it's political that we're going after Trump? And of course, they'll go after the president's son for something very minor relative to this entire laptop of him basically confessing to crimes on it, you know, massive international conspiracies. Uh, but it's hey, we're not going to go after that. We'll go after. He, you know, didn't file his, his uh, W-2s properly or his I-9s. Um, and he uh, had this weird gun incident where he lied about about this gun, which, again, it's a it's a 10 year penalty. It's not a significant thing. It's not an insignificant thing, but still relatively minor to some of the stuff he's done. All right. Eight, six, six, ninety five Patriot. The other thing that was there's another amazing interview that took place, which is the lead story currently at Breitbart News. Uh, NBC, someone named Dasha Burns uh, had a sit down with John Fetterman, and it went even worse for Fetterman than you could ever imagine because he was caught reading off of a teleprompter, which was apparently what was requested by his campaign. So they knew he couldn't keep up with an interview because he had a stroke. And he is uh, mentally incapacitated at this point. He's been more clear than ever. And he's not recovered from it. And he's mentally compromised. And they have a screen where he can read what's being said. And it's actually obscuring the shot. You can see it's right there on the front page of Breitbart News. Um, and the stuff he says during the interview is as incoherent as always. We've got some of this. Let's play cut seven, please. Another pivotal Senate race in Pennsylvania now considered a toss-up. Our Dasha Burns spoke with Democrat John Fetterman in his first in-person sit-down interview since he suffered a stroke. And Dasha, this was not a typical candidate interview. No, Lester, because of his stroke, Fetterman's campaign required closed captioning technology for this interview to essentially read our questions as we ask them. And Lester, in small talk before the interview without captioning, it wasn't clear he was understanding our conversation. Yeah, he wasn't understanding it because he is not capable mentally. 
And the Democrats and the media mostly tried to lie about it. So, of course, this lady, Dasha Burns, NBC reporter, getting completely crushed online um, by establishment journalists and left-wingers saying that she's making fun of a stroke victim and making fun of his mental health issues. She's not doing any of that. She's reporting on the most significant thing in a totally fascinating race is that the guy who might win is uh, needs deep mental rehabilitation and should not be sitting on the board of anything, much less be in the United States Senate, among his other faults. Uh, it, it, this is an incredibly sad thing the Democrats are doing, that they are propping up this man who should not be out there in public, humiliating himself on a daily basis. And it is the biggest story in the midterms, without a doubt. There's nothing There's nothing even close to it, that they have this person who has just no business running for anything. And they're trying to prop him up, and it might work, because Dr. Oz started so far behind because of his uh, unique candidacy, shall we say. One of my reporters at Breitbart made a very interesting point that uh, Dr. Oz, a actual medical doctor, the fact that he could win a Senate seat that he otherwise had no chance at winning because the uh, because his opponent has a huge health issue is pretty ironic. So you got to see it to believe it. You check that out on the front page of Breitbart. And one thing we'll be tracking throughout the day is some of the reaction, people trying to make it seem as though uh, Oz himself is uh, not not Oz himself, but but NBC was the unfair ones. All right, a few other things I want to bring up. Uh, the a senior FBI analyst has said that the FBI offered Christopher Steele a million dollars to corroborate the bogus PP dossier. That was always a hoax, so they would have uh, paid him a million bucks if he could find any details. He, they couldn't do it, but they had the seven figure check from you guys that you guys uh, cut when you pay your taxes every year, Christopher Steele, uh, in order to prove that the fake PP dossier was there. And so it just reminds you of the deep state, how it really is just an arm of the Democrat Party, and they're just working against people like you all. Uh, Democrat Cindy Axney, who has suggested that we should import more foreign visa workers. These, of course, would take American jobs. She's up against Grassley in Iowa. I only mention it because it's just such an unbelievable, when Americans are struggling, something that would cut into your bottom line or perhaps take your job entirely. But to import cheaper uh, workers who do similar work to you, who are willing to work for cheaper so your quality of life is depressed, that this is a mainstream position on the Democrat side, still is. So she's not going to win, so it's not a huge threat. But the uh, 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 many blue-collar Americans and white-collar Americans, if we're importing people then it's going to drive your wages down. And what does it service? It services the elite who run our corporations and run our government because then they have to pay less because there's more competition from uh, foreigners. Not to mention, of course, it does water down a little bit what it means to be an American. Needless to say. These idiotic ideas are why we're starting to see things like Republican Alan Fung with a sizable lead in, you sitting down, Rhode Island. Isn't that wild? There's a Republican with an eight-point lead out, uh, over Democrat Seth Magaziner in the race for Rhode Island's second congressional district, according to the Boston Globe Suffolk University poll. It's amazing things. If you start seeing Republicans competitive in Washington, 
going to pick up a seat. Almost seems like this one's a done deal in Rhode Island. Uh, again, you got to sift through this stuff because the media is not really going to be uh, overly uh, the promotional of this type of stuff. The big political story yesterday prior to the bizarre Fetterman interview might have been Raphael Warnock. Uh, his church has been uh, paying for him. He makes 120 or has made 120 as a pastor and gets a $7,400 a month housing allowance. That is a chunk for housing. And they were actually called out for trying to evict tenants during the pandemic. Herschel Walker has done something very clever, and he's announced that he will pay for anyone to not get evicted. He will he will help them get caught up. Um, he's pledged to pay past due rents to stop Reverend Warnock from evicting the church tenants. It's good stuff. So he gets 120k plus 7k housing al- allowance. Which again, I mean, in order to make seven thousand a month for housing, then you know you should theoretically, what are you earning? Twelve thousand before the government dips it in. So we're talking, you know, double that basically, hundred twenty to it's all it's a quarter million bucks. Let's just say, and in the meantime, um, the, the he is his church tried to evict tenants during the pandemic. When people were told by the government that Warnock is a part of, they're not allowed to work. And he's campaigned uh, against evictions. He wants eviction protections, at least rhetorically. You know, when it's up to him to do something about it, of course, he does nothing. He just takes money. This is what Democrats do. It's a Freudian concept of projection. They uh, assign their own personal faults to other people in uh, their that they oppose politically. Three fatal stabbings within 10 days in New York City and their transit system. Crime wave continues there. This is why you're starting to see more and more people, more and more races look like uh, John James's race out in Michigan, 10th district. He's in a huge lead over there at this point. It's the, of course, you're going to start seeing a red wave or stuff like this. All right, I got a woke update for you before we get to the phone. I got a bunch of them, and I won't dwell on them too much, so we have some time for calls, etc. And I know somebody trying to call in. We'll we'll do some. Um, we will get those screened. But uh, there's a new trans organization whose president-elect has referred to sex change surgeries for minors as like removing a mole. World Professional Association on Transgender Health. Marcy Bowers, the president-elect of the group, has said surgical care for adolescents makes sense. Surgical care means literal castration or the uh, uh, lopping off of the breasts of women. That's what they're talking about because we're in this fad, this trans fad. These are irreversible things, but I'll tell you, um, as people grow older and they've gone through this and they realize it's a mistake, I don't know if it means you're going to start running to the Republican Party and the conservative movement. They might find themselves isolated, alienated, and dependent on the government and dependent on the nanny state. And so not to be too cynical about it, but I think the type of people who are forcing 
and compelling young people to make horrifying life decisions might end up uh, reaping the benefits in the end politically. And that's a scary thought. Only 53% of Generation Z Britons are exclusively straight. So the LGBTQ+, two-spirit, ampersand, pregnant emoji crowd uh, is now half of the country in, in Britain for younger generation. Do we think that's real, that overnight people just all of a sudden decided they were two-spirit? Or do you think maybe perhaps they've been coached by our culture? But only certain elements of the culture, this stuff is working. Uh, DC Comics has had to cancel their gay Superman Remember, Superman's son was gay, I think, um, and that uh, not selling enough, so that's done. FBI put out footage. I'm sorry, data on death from fists and feet, as well as knives, and all of them are more deadly than rifles. So more people beaten to death with fists and kicked to death than killed with rifles. Of course, the number for stabbing is much higher. Yet, out in California, they're trying to make it illegal for doctors to disagree with politicians when it comes to medical issues. This is their war on misinformation, which basically means that if you don't agree with the Democrat single-party state and you're a doctor, you have to uh, be compelled to shut up. I will tell you that people in my personal life um, were very concerned about this. A lot of panicky emails and people figured out this is going on. The state has empowered a medical board to punish misinformation. But remember what misinformation is. It's not actual misinformation. It's going against the Democrat Party establishment, headed up by the greatest doctor of all time, Gavin Newsom. So the real doctors right now are, of course, Jill Biden, Ed D, education, Parag Agrawal, the CEO of Twitter. He can censor actual doctor, doctors. And Gavin Newsom, governor of California, who leads a fiefdom uh, of you know tens of millions of people. Uh, this is where the real, those are the real doctors because they decide what is permissible for doctors to say or not say. All right. Um, some national security foreign policy stuff that I'm not going to get time to do. I will throw one more out there and then we'll take our break. Uh, Senator Mike Lee is saying the slam the JCPA media cartel bill. He says he rewards foes of conservatives. He's identified the correct thing. Uh, he's identified the, the, the correct thing, which this is about establishment media and big tech colluding with one another. And I pulled down to see how Mike Lee's doing because he's in a race against Evan McMullen. You might remember him, the never Trump candidate. And I want to see how he's doing. And I noticed he's been able to secure the endorsement of all Republican senators, aside from one. Guess which one? Pierre Delecto, Mitt Romney. What a disappointment that guy's been. A deep dive on the border with Pinal County Sheriff Mark Lamb is next. He breaks down the extent to which the fentanyl crisis is affecting American communities, particularly at the border, but really beyond where it comes from and why it's trending in such a horrible direction. I get his take on whether or not you should be concerned this Halloween, China's role in all of this, and more. 
Uh, it's scary stuff, but it is, uh, I think, really important. And he's also the part of this documentary, Border Battle, that's out now. You can get it at Salem now uh, if you want to check that out, and I do recommend it. Let's hear the interview. Sheriff, great to speak with you. Good, yeah. Thanks for having me on, Alex. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate what you do. And, uh, you know, at Breitbart, we've spent a lot of time on Texas in particular. We've got a huge uh, outpost in Texas. We have a reporter, too, in Arizona. But uh, can you give us some differences between the situation when it comes to illegal immigration or maybe more similarities uh, between Arizona and and Texas? What are things that people need to know? So it really depends, Alex, on which part of your Arizona or Texas you're in. So if you go to the Yuma sector in Arizona, you're going to get a lot of people that are there trying to request asylum. They are what we call layups. They just cross over the border and turn themselves over to Border Patrol. You get that a lot over in, like, let's say, Rio Grande. So you're going to have people from Haiti and Cuba and Russia and all over the world. What we get in the Tucson sector is where all your gotaways are. Those are the people that are military-age men dressed in camouflage clothes, carpet shoes. They're walking through our deserts, sometimes armed oftentimes carrying drugs, and they are transporting people that are either criminals in their own countries or have been convicted of crimes in these countries a lot of times, or they work directly for the cartels, so they want to come into the country undetected. And so that's some of the differences that you see. Um, Fentanyl is is primarily coming through Arizona's borders. Uh, The Sinaloa cartel is the big uh, producer and purveyor of those fentanyl pills. Yeah, this is a big deal because this is one of the stories of our time and gets pretty sparse media coverage, I think, for pretty obvious reasons, but I do want to discuss those with you. Uh, but let's talk about fentanyl because that's sort of the the, the supervillain of this, at least the first three episodes of Border Battle. Uh, who's making it? Where's it coming from? And, and how often are people dying from it? Well, I'm going to give, I mean, I'm not going to give you history. I'm sure you know this, but if For those out there that don't know, centuries ago, there was the opium uh, wars that literally almost brought a dynasty to its knees. Um, And I think that China is now exacting that same thing on the West, on America. Uh, They're bringing in the majority of the precursors that it takes to create the fentanyl. They give it to the cartels in Mexico, and Mexico is producing the product uh, that they're transporting into uh, Arizona and into America. And... They produce pills because there's a stigma with putting a needle in your arm or putting it between your toes. But what do we do as Americans? We take pills. And so they produce these fentanyl pills. And I'm telling you, it's going to flood. They're flooding America with them. And how is it consumed typically? How do people typically, is it something that the, because in one of them they were talking about how it's smoked through a cutoff straw and a, uh, some tinfoil and is it, or do people are just popping them and it, when they're popping the pills, do they think that, do they know what they're doing? Do they know that they're risking death every time they do it? So that there's a lot to unpack in that question because <clears throat> the pills are much like what you have with an Oxycontin pill. You can crush it and snort it. You can take it, you can smoke it. So the, the, the ways you can consume the fence are much like an Oxycontin or a Percocet pill. Um, and then you also have the powder, too, that they, you can put it in. But the cartel is putting it, and there are some people that are purposely taking the fentanyl because it's a, it's a great high. It's the best high out there right now. And so then there's the other people that think they're taking a Tylenol pill or a Xanax pill or cocaine or meth or heroin or marijuana, and that is laced with fentanyl. 
And that is what's causing a lot of the fentanyl poisonings across America that are killing Americans. And then you have people that don't even ingest it. They don't even take it that can be killed from it. And that's why this is so dangerous. Last year in Arizona, 33 children died from fentanyl. Seven were under the age of one year old. That means wow. that these were contact uh, poisonings. So that's how dangerous this drug is, and that's what it's doing to American families. Wow, that's so horrifying. So uh, I, I want to um, a couple of the I want to dig into some of the details here. So it's the, the there's not really if you're a dealer, if you're a someone who's you know selling this and pushing this on the public. Uh, there's not a lot of incentive for you to kill your clientele, but people are dying at a pretty rapid rate from this. So why is the dose so strong? Is it hard to control? Or is this really some sort of a gigantic international conspiracy to kill Americans? It could be a little bit of everything. I mean, I don't think they care about Americans first and foremost. The cartel is proven time and time again with their their trafficking of humans and their disregard for human life. They don't care if they kill Americans. They understand the concept that there's more Americans born every day than they kill with their, their products. So they're not worried about losing clientele. As a matter of fact, every day there's more and more ad- people addicted to fentanyl. So there's, they're, they're, they're truly not worried about that. Um, I, I, I think a lot of it is they're just in it for the money, and they don't look for down the road to see what the long-term effects or the damage is going to be. And the reason why it's so lethal is because it's not being created in labs. This is being created in makeshift shanties by a couple guys mixing some, some ingredients together, and sometimes it's a little more potent than others, um, and that's why you're seeing so many of the poisonings. And frankly, if your body is not used to it, like many drugs, um, it can have a really negative effect on you, and that's what happens. You, know, some, you take a 15-year-old child who thinks he's taken a Xanax or some other Tylenol pill, and it's laced with fentanyl, and boom, you're dead. How does the lacing take place? Is it intentional to try to get people hooked and because they think that that product is better? Because that's the part that I think is most disturbing probably to families in the audience is not that their their kid is going to decide that, you know, all of a sudden I'm into, you know, synthetic opioids that are uh, deadly. It's that they're going to get mixed up into something. They're going to take the wrong thing and they're going to make one mistake and it's going to cost them their lives, which is really the story of fentanyl. So how does this happen in the, the, the lacing of it? Is, that seems to be the scariest part to me. It is the scariest part. And the cartels want you to be addicted to their product no, no matter what you take. And so what they do is they, they package their product in many different forms. Now, the people that might give the, the, the 15-year-old uh, what looks like a Tylenol-type pill they may know that it's laced with fentanyl, but the kids don't right. know. Um, and, or a Xanax bar. You know, they think they're taking a Xanax bar when in reality it was a Xanax bar created in Mexico and it contains fentanyl. Um, we're seeing cocaine addicts, people who are, you know, using cocaine who've never touched fentanyl, dying of fentanyl poisons because the cartels have laced it. They want, here's why they lace everything. They want you to be, addicted to their product the first time you use it. Um, and that's why they put it in everything. And it's increasing. And clearly it's working because we're, we're seeing more and more uh, people being addicted to fentanyl and more and more people being poisoned by fentanyl every day. 
Sheriff Mark Lamb is with me, Sheriff of Pinal County in Arizona, and he's at Pinal CSO on Twitter. He is one of the presenters or stars of the Border Battle docuseries Turning Point USA has out, which you can get on Salem Now, which was really easy to get, by the way. So anyway, I know sometimes everyone feels like they're on a million platforms. Um, it was really easy for me to sign up and get it, so I recommend that to everyone. Uh, Halloween's coming up, and I know that there are some families I know that I was talking to uh, one of my son's godmothers, who's a uh, or her, his godmother, who is really concerned as kids slightly older than, than my kids, and they're really concerned about this getting into the candy. Is that a real risk? Is that something you're concerned about? You know, I'm, I'm not one of those people who live scared. I really don't. But I, I think there's some genuine concerns there. Like, I, I really do think that we have to be much more cautious now. There are people with bad intentions. And we're letting 300,000-plus people a month come to our borders. And we're letting a lot of people into this country that don't love America. I mean, frankly, if they could harm American people or do damage to America, they would. And so to think that somebody wouldn't do something to our children um, it was, is also very naive. So I'm not one of those people who live scared. I would certainly be very cautious as to which candies my children were able to take and eat, and I would make sure as a parent I, I looked at everything before they actually ingested it. And I would go uh, in areas that you are very familiar with, with the neighbors and the people that you're, whose doors you're showing up to. Um, and if I lived in some sketchy neighborhoods, I probably wouldn't go. Is the Chinese government involved directly? Because it feels like nothing happens in China without the government being involved. And if they're really the origin of this crisis, then uh, is the government involved directly? And then, and if that's the case, how come no one phrases it that way? You know, Alex, I'm not in the business of speculation. I'm in the business of evidence. And I couldn't, you know, I would be speculating if I told you that, if I, that they were involved. I, I, I mean, I think it's a probability. Uh, there, we definitely know China is involved. And like you said, China uh, is usually over, everything is overseen by the government. Um, we know that the precursors are coming from China. We know that uh, the cartels are then taking and creating those products and bringing them into America and it affects American lives every day. So I can't tell you with certainty. I don't have the facts to say and support that. So, uh, but it would be a logical, uh, sure. you know, it would definitely be a lead for us. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so again, Sheriff Mark Lamb is with me. Sheriff, I want to talk to you a little bit about where we get our border policy. Now, something that I was reminded of, I hadn't thought of this in a very long time, but we basically get it from the UN, and that's basically help anyone who sets foot on American soil and treat them all as if they are uh, the default is they're some victim of some sort of uh, oppressive totalitarian regime, and we're under obligation to help them all, uh, which is a very nice pie-in-the-sky sentiment. But what is the reality? What does this turn into, having this be our guiding light? Well, the reality is the U.N. would love more than nothing to have just everybody be on a global level that they control. And right. I think that that's the idea, is they create policies that weaken our borders in America um, and they're not good for America. We're clearly seeing the effects of their, those border policies. Uh, and this administration is more than happy to, to adopt any of those policies or lack of policies that the U.N. is willing to push out there. And, it, and, and frankly, it's taken its toll on the American people. And so that's, this is our opportunity to speak up. We've got November coming up. We've got elections. It's an opportunity to really send a message that, look, America becomes first. And the American people should come first. 
And uh, that's what we should focus on. And our border policy should dictate that. We should have our border policies closed. Let me just tell you, when you open border policies, most Americans think that's a humane thing. I will tell you, it is the complete opposite of humane. What you're doing is you are bringing people to the border, to the doorsteps of the cartels. The cartels are making 2,000 times more money than we're ever making before. Um, And this is a touchy subject for Americans, but I think slavery has never been more prolific in America than it is now. Because these people, the women are being enslaved in the sex trade, the children are, the men are being extorted. It's awful what comes from open borders. Uh, My thought here is why are we talking so much about things like vaping and about COVID-19 and uh, as these being the big threats to us? And it is we're not talking about having human trafficking and in a massive illegal drug trade by brutal people, perhaps connected to the Chinese, getting pushed through our southern border. It just seems like the conversation is way out of balance right now in terms of what's a threat to our country. Yeah, it's a magician's hand trick, you know. Look at this hand over here. Well, this hand over here is doing this. You know, these folks, they don't want to talk about these things because it will expose just how ineffective the policies that are currently in place are. So you can't talk about human trafficking and drug trafficking and fentanyl poisoning being the leading cause of death in America, because if you do, then you have to confront the fact that your policies on the border are not working. But you know what they can do is they can talk about little things over here like vaping and, and uh, you know, they, they loved people focusing on Roe versus Wade. I heard your last guest just talking yeah. to Monica talking at the very end about abortion. All of those things are topics they want Americans to focus on so that you don't focus on what is truly affecting American lives every day. And that is proof positive in the fact that fentanyl has become the leading cause of death in America amongst the ages of 18 and 45, and our government and the mainstream media say nothing about it. Well said, Sheriff Mark Lamb. Uh, Let me ask you uh, about what life is like for you and for the people who work under you at the border and maybe how things have changed over the last couple of years it's hard to even fathom. It just must be such a stressful time of life. But explain to me, give me a little sense of your day to day. Well, it has definitely changed for us. You know, two years ago, uh, we in 2020, we saw a, a very reduced amount of, of people coming into this country. As a matter of fact, I'm not even on the border. I'm 50 miles off the border. And I was having as many apprehensions as people on the border were having. That all changed in 2021. And uh, you can put the pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, overnight, the communications line stopped, and the, the flow of humans and drugs into this country started going out of control. The train was off the tracks. And uh, now what we're seeing, like we just last a couple of weeks ago, we had five traffic stops in one shift on human load vehicles, 27 bodies in one of those, uh, between those five cars. If I sent my guys out every single day, 20 guys, we'd probably have 20-plus traffic stops of human load vehicles. These are people that are being smuggled into America, into extortion, into the sex trade here in America, along with drugs and all these other things. And that is just not the American way. You know, we caught a woman out in the desert, and we, we asked her, we said, she had a baggie full of pills, like 50 pills, and we said, what are these pills? We thought maybe they were fentanyl. And she said, um, and I think I talk about this in the video. She so said, these are, uh, I knew I was going to get raped multiple times when I crossed the border. These are morning after pills. 
Wow. Like, where did we get in this country to where we lo- we lost our moral compass so bad that we put politics in front of people? Because politically, you think that aligns with you to have open borders. We allow women and child- women to be raped and children to be used as pawns. It's just not the America that I know or, or do. And so going back to your question, as a, we love America and we fight for America every day and we fight for the communities across America because this product is not designed to stay in Arizona or Pinal County. It's designed to go throughout America and we feel that responsibility to stop it before it gets to the rest of America. That's right. And that's what this documentary is really about. It's not just a, the border battles and just at the border. It comes into our communities in different ways. And some of it is in terms of crime and cartel presence. And some of it is just the drugs making it up there, devastating communities in different ways. So where would you begin in terms of solutions? Uh, just off the top of your head, what would you like to see if, if Washington was listening? Uh, where would they start? Well, if Washington was listening, I'd say put your pride aside and go back to the Trump era policies. That's an easy starting point. We already know what was working. Go back to those policies. Get back to allowing Border Patrol and ICE agents and and, um, CBP agents to do their job. They do it well. Let them do their job. Build the wall. Finish the wall. We paid for it already. It's effective. It's it's an effective piece. Don't hire 87,000 IRS agents. We only have 386 ICE agents in Arizona. So these are just some of the things we need to do to fix it. That's today's broadcast. Thanks to our producers, Zach Jones and Greg Eben, as well as Robert Marlowe, who helps me pick topics. All of you who share content all over the social web are a big part of what we do at Breitbart, and I can't thank you enough, and I'll talk to you next time. Mm